The Bible reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 to 13. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, and it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Welcome. Good morning. Are we still walking in the joy of the Lord from Easter? I hope you are, because he is still risen. Uh, we are continuing our journey through the book of Hebrews. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Jonathan, and it's my privilege to serve as one of the pastors here and to be bringing you a message this morning from God's Word, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 to 13. I encourage you, if you don't uh, have a Bible open, to go ahead and, and get a Bible ready. Uh, have that open as we will be looking, uh, looking through the Scriptures this morning. Uh, the theme for this book is seeing Jesus. Seeing Jesus through eyes of faith right now so that we can see Jesus when he is in his kingdom. And we come to the part of this address where the writer is, or the speaker, is encouraging the hearers to press on and to finish. And specifically, last week we saw that there was a race that we've all been entered into. It's a race following after Jesus. And here this morning, we're going to continue that theme of exhortation. If Christianity's ever been hard for you, listen to this message. If you find the life of faith a wrestle, this message is for you. If you are bewildered, perplexed, feeling a bit battered, dazed, disoriented, 
struggling, this is for you. If your expectation of being a Christian in this life is that everything is rosy, happy, sunshine and rainbows, as we like to say, (laughs) then this message is going to be difficult. This is a message not for the person who has yet to begin the race, but for the person who is running the race. This is a message for the person not who has yet to begin the fight, but who is walking to the corner of the 10th round. This is, in these verses, a spiritual reality check. It's a pep talk. Maybe you need a pep talk this morning. Maybe you can recall a time in your life where you have benefited from somebody pulling you aside and reorienting your perspective on life and your perspective on what's going on. From time to time in our weariness, we can all falter, we can all struggle, we can all experience that sense of discouragement and disappointment. But this message is for those who need to push through that. It may not be comfortable, it may not be easy, but we need to hear it. Last week we saw on Easter Sunday that faith finishes its race by focusing on Jesus. You're not going to get to the finish line. You're not going to be in the presence of God unless you have trained your eyes and your focus on Christ. And we talked about running with purpose, running with intention, and, and this idea that to run after Jesus means to live your life with a forward orientation where you are exercising your energy and all the strength that God gives you in the way of Christ, the way that he has paved and the way that he has called you into. We talked about how everyone has a race that has been set before them. We don't pick our own race, but it's a race that God has set before us, and it's our job to run it. And we talked about how the good news is we don't need to beat each other in the race. We just need to cross the finish line. The big question this week, though, is what takes our eyes off Jesus? If we're meant to run after Jesus, we're meant to, we're meant to, to, to pursue and to go headlong and, and, and to keep our eyes fixed on him, what takes your eyes off him? I think we could answer this question in a hundred different ways. Or we could just answer it in one way. Sin. Sin will take our eyes off Christ. Whether that be the enticement of sin, the the enticement to, to give ourselves our resources to bow down, as it were, to our own desires or to, to, to cave in the temptation, or whether it be the sinfulness of the world and the, the, the hardship and the oppression that we feel, or whether it be the effects of sin, the, 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 the curse and its impact upon 
us as God's creatures, those made in his image. One way or another, sin is going to be what takes your eyes off of Christ. This is what's in the author's mind as we begin this section. So it's not going to be overly complicated. It's going to be very, very straightforward. The author said, run to Jesus. Consider Jesus. That means, that means re- use him as your reference point, but also your, your place of reasoning. Look at what happened to Jesus. Look at the race he ran. Look at where he is right now. Consider him. And anything that's going to stop you from considering him, we can put in the camp of sin or its agents. The simple truth is that faith can be a tiring wrestle. (laughs) And all God's people said, amen. (laughs) That's the loudest amen I've heard in about five weeks. (laughs) I'm going to take that as a good sign, (laughs) right? Faith can be a tiring wrestle, okay? And that's not, that, that's not to say that there isn't anything genuine about the liberty and the joy and the freedom that we have in knowing Christ. And it's not to diminish the, the faith of those mature saints who've walked with the Lord for a long time and who have learned the rhythms of grace and who can go through their world and go through their life with a, with a profound and simple trust in God. This is, this is not saying anything against them. But the reality is, if you walk with Christ for a period of time, you will endure hardship. And in that sense, faith is, and it can be, a tiring wrestle. The big idea today is that we need to endure that wrestle because in the wrestle, God is training you. He's training you. He's disciplining you. He's rearing you in his household. So, if you came to church this morning and it feel like you staggered into the corner of the boxing ring and you've slumped on the stool and your hands are tired and your legs are tired and you're weary and you're sore, this text is going to be like the voice of your trainer saying, you can finish this fight. you're going to need to keep going in this race. You can and you will. Now the good news is that God only trains his own children. To be in this experience of discipline is to belong to the household of God. To endure this wrestle of faith is to be brought into a seasoning, a training, a disciplining, a a, a formation process whereby God, your creator, is rearing you. And he only does that for his children. Not that he doesn't want to train others, but they simply are not a part of his house. Now, by way of the overview this morning, like an expert trainer, our author here is going to motivate his hearers to run their race with endurance after Jesus by faith. 
And he does this by reframing their present hardship in light of three things, in light of God's discipline, in light of God's purposes, and in light of God's reward. He's, he's got to get them to see things differently. He's got to get them to shift their perspective. For them to continue to endure, there needs to be a fundamental reorientation. And that's what's going on in this text. Now, the prospect of weariness was raised in 12.3, which says, Consider him, that's Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He raised the prospect of weariness. If you're not considering Jesus, you're going to get tired. You're going to fatigue. You're going to flame out. You're not going to make it to the end. He raised this prospect of weariness. He moves then from, from the discussion of where you're running or, or, or the one that you're sort of the goal, the prize of this contest, he moves it to how are you going to finish the contest? How are you going to finish the race? How are you going to finish the wrestle? It's a shift of the focus of our direction to the focus of our endurance. It's not where is our faith going, but how is our faith going to last? And there's three key concepts that, that, that are going to be teased out in this. The first is hardship. We're going to need to understand what sort of suffering is in view here. What, what kind of hardship is being discussed? Is it any and all hardship that you might encounter in this life? Or is it a particular kind of hardship? We're also going to need to ask the question of discipline. The word discipline occurs very frequently in a very short span in this section. You're probably fair to say about 80 to 90% of the occurrences of this word discipline in the whole New Testament are found in these verses. It's a key concept. And so we need to ask, what do we mean by discipline? Is it a, is it a formative discipline, a training, or is it a punitive discipline, a, a, a punishing for wrongdoing? What, what sort of discipline is this? And the other concept that we're going to need to pull out of this is what, it mean, what does it mean to be a partaker? In other words, the, the, the training that's, that, that we're undergoing, is it, is it for belonging or is it for becoming? Perhaps a bit of both. The outline this morning is that God, call, God calls us to endurance by shifting our perspective on the hardships that accompany our faith. You're going to need to change how you view your hardships. We will not endure if we simply receive them as that. And so these verses offer three reality checks, and they really take the form of the three questions. Now, they're not always translated as questions in your English translation, but there's, there's three questions in this section, and each of these questions points to a different reality check. The first is a reality check about the struggle and the nature of it. And the question there is, have you forgot? Have you forgot? The second, the second reality check is a reality check about our status. Who are we? And it raises the question, who, who isn't being trained here? We need to answer that question. And the third question that's raised deals with our stake, or the stakes, you could say, in this wrestle. And... And the question that we need to answer here is, should we not submit? 
So we're going to follow the flow of these three questions in the text. And each of these questions is going to bring a reality check for us. That's where we're going. Are you ready? You with me? All right. Let's pray. Father, would you bless us with an understanding of your heart and your character as we open your word this morning. Lord, there is no other place we can go to for the words of life that that our spirit needs. Lord, you made us, you know us, you lead us, and you will receive us on the basis of Jesus Christ. So Lord, it is in his name that we pray and ask that you have your way with us today. Amen. All right, the first reality check has to do with the nature of our struggle. And the question here is, have we forgotten that sin is our opponent and God is in our corner? Have we forgotten that sin is our opponent and God is in our corner? Look at me, verses 4 to 6. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, here's a reminder when you read Scripture, to read Scripture in light of the context, okay? This is written to a particular group of people that the author knows, and he's able to write things to them. And he says, I know your situation, and, and you, haven't, you haven't been wrestling or fighting with sin so much that, that you've actually bled yet, <laughs> or that you've had to give your life. Some see it in this verse of reference to martyrdom. But what's fascinating here is the way these hardships are cast. Verse 5, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. There's a struggle going on against sin and the author reframes that struggle as discipline or training in God's house. And he says, have you forgotten that encouraging word? That says, don't take that training lightly. Don't, don't dismiss it. Don't, don't discount it because, because it means that God loves you. Now, if you could pull back some of the cultural layers, you'd have a much clearer picture of what he's saying in verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted. The relationship between us and sin is the relationship between a protagonist and an antagonist. Many of you are familiar with literature or, or movies. You know, the, the greatest stories, the greatest epics always have a protagonist and an antagonist. It's the mortal enemy. It's why they don't do the big shootout 20 minutes into the movie. They do the big shootout at the end of the movie because everything's been building to this, to this opposition between the protagonist and the antagonist. Here, the believer is pictured as an antagonist to sin. You ever thought of yourself as sin's villain? Have you ever thought of yourself, the believer, the redeemed, the washed, the forgiven, as the opponent of sin? We asked our, our 
our, in, our, in our meeting this week, we sort of jokingly, we said, if, you, if there was a movie that was going to come out about you and your relationship to sin, what, what kind of movie would it be, you know? Would it be a buddy pick, <laughs> right? Hey, <laughs> hey, sin, here we are. <laughs> Where are we going today? I don't know. Let's go have some fun. You know, is it a rom-com? You know, <laughs> you're sort of in and out and are we, will we, won't we? You know, are we, do, are we doing this? Are we not doing this, right? Or is, you know, if there was a movie about your relationship to sin, is it more like, you know, a Marvel movie where it's like, we are diametrically opposed and we will fight. If you go a bit deeper, our relationship between sin and its agents is not one simply, uh, it's not just an adversarial relationship. The, the language used to describe that relationship is literally a wrestling match or a boxing match. You're in the ring with sin and its agents with sin itself, and with people who are controlled by sin. This is exactly what Jesus faced. The verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. What the author is saying is, look, the reason it's hard to be a believer is, is because you are captive to a whole other power. You're captive to the Holy Spirit. You belong to God himself. Your nature is being transformed and renewed. And you are in a world filled with sin and sinners. And you have a nature within you that is dying. It is, it is being crucified. It's wriggling. And you're fighting it. And it's trying to master you. So yeah, you're in a fight. The encouragement is that hardship marks God's loving discipline. If you're in this fight, it's because you're on God's side. God's not our adversary in this. He is training us. He's training us for righteousness. The word for discipline that, that comes up here and is used throughout this section is a word that means... Training, instruction, it can mean chastisement. Proverbs chapter 3 is quoted here. And in Proverbs, discipline has, has a very punitive emphasis. You do the wrong thing, you should be punished. That, that, that's often what it means to be disciplined. But... But in the context here in Hebrews, that does not seem to really be what's going on. It's not talking about God retroactively smacking them because they've done the wrong thing. It's instead talking about the hardship that they are experiencing simply because they are believers in a non-believing world. And so, to read punitive discipline into this text is probably not doing justice to its context, even though in other places in Scripture, there is a punitive sense of discipline. And this is not all types of suffering. 
This is not the suffering that, that, that deals with being a part of this fallen world in the sense that we have bodies that are subject to decay. It's not talking about hardships of physical health. It's not talking about hardships of natural consequences to to actions. It's talking about the hardship that comes from belonging to Jesus Christ. From trying to trying to live as a Christian in a secular and a sinful world. There is a cost to be paid for living faithfully in Christ. So as you stagger back to the corner and as you sit on the stool, God is saying to you, he's saying, hey, this is a fight. Don't be surprised that you're getting hit. Don't be surprised that you're having to exert yourself. Don't be surprised that you're sweating. That you're feeling fatigued. This is a fight. But the whole reason you're in this fight is because God is doing something in you. Which he's going to turn to next. It's important to note here that the, the author uses shame as, as, as a motivator here. And he's saying, you know, yeah, it's been hard, but it could be harder. <laughs> Can someone name for me the, the last Australian martyr in Australia for being a Christian? I don't know of one. There probably is one. If you find it this week, send it to me. I'd love to know that bit of information. We're, we're not gathering this morning in secrecy. We're not hiding from the authorities. Has anyone here collapsed this week because you've just been wrestling with temptation so much? Has anyone lost a limb in their wrestle with sin? <laughs> the author has given him a bit of perspective. He's saying, it's hard. It's hard, absolutely. But, but let's, not, let's not pretend it couldn't be worse. I want to read for you a quote from... One commentator on, on this text. Uh, his name is David De Silva. And he, he's, he's writing in a North American context. But in some ways, there's, there's things that are similar and, and perhaps cross over. Here it is. De Silva writes, he says... He's talking about being a Christian in America. And he says, the easy relationship of church and government in America, for example, may lead us to subtly give up our birthright as children of God for the sake of temporal goods. 
unaware of the profound difference and even antagonism between the gospel of Christ and the zeitgeist of our society, by that, means, by that he means sort of the cultural moment of our society, we may be following a pale shadow of Jesus, a Jesus who allows us to gather up our wealth and goods into bigger and bigger barns, who allows us to shop and hop from church to church with the same consumer mentality we take to car dealerships. And he asks this question, has our comfort and our commitment to comfort accomplished here what decades of brutal repression could not accomplish in the former Soviet Union? Namely, make Christianity a harmless, private, and fundamentally irrelevant religion that can be safely tolerated since it never interferes with business as usual. the writer's saying. He's like, look, it's hard. I get it. It's hard. But is being a Christian interrupting with business as usual for you? The second reality check concerns our status, and this one is very comforting and encouraging. And the question that he raises here is, which son is not disciplined by his father? And then he answers that question. The son who's not disciplined is the illegitimate one. Here in verses 7 to 8, it comes into view. It says, endure hardship as discipline. You could translate, translate that as saying, endure for the sake of your instruction. Endure for the sake of discipline. In other words, you're being trained get through it. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If, if you are not disciplined and, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Endure for the sake of discipline, which again, shift that reality check. If our, ver if our view of, of being converted to Christ is, is simply that, that we receive salvation tickets, that Jesus is the guy at the fair, and he passes out the tickets, and we get to ride any ride that we want now. If that's our view of what it means to be a Christian, then that perspective needs to shift. What it really means is to be brought into something. I want to tell you a story about a, about a roommate that I had. This is Wheaton College, uh, circa the year 2000. <laughs> and and I, showed up, I showed up at Wheaton College and, and they put you in, in dorms and there's 40, uh, so there's seven stories. We're on the top floor, 40 young 19-year-old boys, men, whatever we were, uh, in this dorm, and we're going around, and we're meeting everybody, and, and I come to this guy who would later become a really good friend and a roommate, and I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he was totally devastated. He was first downright rude, and then he was just a bit... He was just devastated. And, and uh, you know, this should be an exciting moment, right? You've just arrived on campus. You've just, you've just arrived at university and you're getting ready to start this new life. You've moved away from home and, and here's this guy. And he was so 
just out of it. And I said, what's the deal, man? And he's like, bro. <laughs> he said, you don't know what I've just been through. <laughs> what? He said, yeah, you just got here. I got here a week ago. I said, you've been here for a week? He said, no, I haven't been here for a week. He said, I, I got here a week ago. You see, my parents are missionaries in another country, and my parents said that they signed me up for a summer camp. And, and this was a summer camp before, before you start uni. And so I show up, I get off the bus, and the first thing they do when we pull up is they say, grab your backpack and run. We got off the bus running for three miles with our backpacks. He said, then they proceeded to abandon us. And they said, look, you have enough tools and the stuff that we gave you, you should be able to find your way to another campsite by this time tomorrow. Work it out. We ate beans out of a can. We ran out of water. He said, um, I can't even toilet. We couldn't even toilet properly. He said, I hate my parents. <laughs> they signed him up for a wilderness exp expedition. Right, here he is thinking, He's going to go hang out and meet people and, you know, play games and, you know, let's just sit in a chair and listen to talks and do all this stuff. No. Now, were his parents cruel? Is a program cruel? Well, not everybody can do it. But the thought, the thinking behind it is you're about to prepare to go into university. You need to cut the apron strings. You need to be able to think for yourself. You need resilience. You need, you need to be able to resource. You need to be tested. You need to be trained. And that's what the whole program was all about. And it was a weak orientation to living life as a responsible adult who has to communicate with other people and has to learn from their surroundings and has to make decisions and survive and endure hardship. Why? Because if you're going to actually make it through those years of study and if you're going to persevere, you need this stuff in your tool bag. You see, we laugh about it now. It was a great experience. <laughs> but the reason that we are called to endure is because of where we are going and who we belong to. You see, it's a privilege to be a part of the kingdom of God. It's a privilege to be in his household. And this, this, this language of discipline it used to be, back in the 1930s and 40s, it used to be, it could even be translated as culture because what would happen in a Greco-Roman house is after a child was, was old enough to be weaned from, from its mother, the training of the child would go to the father. And the father was responsible to discipline, to raise up this child. And he would only do it for the heirs. He wouldn't do it for for the illegitimate bastard children that he fathered through the slaves in the house. But he would do it for the heir. And what he was doing was he's passing on the culture because he realizes when I go, this son is going to carry forward the legacy. The thing that I have has to be put into this son. Now, thankfully, we've, we've moved beyond that model 
of child rearing. We've nuanced it. We've, we've adapted it. But the, the core principle is the same. The core principle is God is instilling in us kingdom responsibility, kingdom culture. And he only does it for the heirs. He only does it for those who are going to share and who are going to partake. You see, God is forming us to reflect his holiness. And this links us to Jesus. So if you're slumping into the corner this morning, the first thing the trainer, (coughs) excuse me, the first thing the word is saying to you, to train you is to say, hey, wake up. This is a fight. You knew it was a fight, and you can finish the fight. The second thing he's saying, look, you're in a fight because look who's backing you. Look whose colors you're wearing. Look who you're racing for. Because you belong to that family. You belong to that kingdom. Because Jesus is your brother. God is your father. And you are a co-heir of his righteousness. And the third reality check, the spiritual reality check that comes is, is our stake. Really, what's, what's at stake? What, 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 what happens? And I've deliberately put a parenthetical S on the end of that statement to understand that there's a stake in two senses. Stake is in our share and stakes in terms of our winnings. What, what, what comes as the result of this, this training? And the question that, that is raised by the text is, will we really not submit to the discipline of our perfect father? Effectively, to throw in the towel at this point, to shake off the, to shake off the coach, to shake off the trainer, to say, no, I'm not going back out there, or to say, you know, I'm going to quit. I'm, I'm going by the side. I'm going by the wayside. To do that is, is to forfeit everything. To not submit to this training and discipline. Look with me, verses 9 through 11. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? This isn't making a blanket statement. Of course, there's people who grew up without fathers. But it's a generalized statement to the audience at that time to say we had people who were responsible. Our earthly dad was responsible to to train us up and And we can look back now and we can say, I'm grateful for that. They weren't perfect, but I learned. And look who I am now. We respect them for that. How much more then should we respect the Father of Spirits? And then in verse 10 and 11, we see a contrast emerge. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. I can tell you as a dad, I totally relate to this. (laughs) What's the consequence going to be, dad? Or what do we do now, dad, for this? And you're there and you're thinking, okay, well, uh, this seems right. (laughs) How often do we joke that, you know, there's no ultimate handbook to parenting outside of the scriptures, of course. There's no ultimate, like, so often, as an earthly parent, you're just, you're just doing what you think is best. And, and you know what? Oftentimes, 
That's all that need. That's all God needs. You don't have to be perfect. But if I am, an, if I as an earthly father am, am training up my children in what I think is best, how well is God going to train us? How well is He going to raise us? He'll do it perfectly. He does it for our good. Not according to how things just seem, but he knows perfectly what is best. You see, our failure as, as humans and as human parents often is that we, we, we do what seems best for us, but we're not quite sure what is in the ultimate best interest of the child. It's tough to know that exactly and precisely. But God knows exactly and precisely what is needed for your benefit. And the outcome of that is that we share in his holiness. You know, God, God trains, with, trains us with perfect love and clarity. And the discipline of our heavenly father, it bears the fruit of his character in us. That fruit, namely, is, is the peace that comes from righteousness. You are learning to live righteously as your father is righteous. And this is not some out of nowhere idea. Jesus would say, be perfect for your heavenly father is perfect. The Old Testament tells us, be holy for I am holy, God says. Peter repeats that in his epistle. This idea that we're being formed. Unlike my last point, which was not fully formed. What I was trying to say is our share in God's kingdom is what's at stake. You see, if you say, I don't want a part of this, I, 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 I got to bug out, I, I'm not, I'm not going to endure, then you're not, you're not going to share. All right. Application. The message is to stand strong and to keep straight. Stand strong and to keep straight. Notice that weariness lets our guard down. If you've ever seen a fighter, as the fight goes on, what do they start to do? They drop their hands, don't they? And as the hands drop, the guard goes down and they become susceptible to a knockout punch. One of the first rules of boxing is to keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Weariness will lead us to letting our guard down. If we succumb to fatigue, we drop our guard, which means we'll be taking more blows. This is where sin seems like it's so sweet. Oh, it would just be so, so sweet to just relax into that temptation, to just give in to that fleshly desire, to just go with what the crowd is doing, to just not stand for Christ, and just, to just, just be coasting along in the stream and you think about how good it would feel for, for that boxer in the 10th round to just let the hands go limp and, and, and let them fall by the wayside. But the moment you do that, the moment you do that, the enemy is winding up for the knockout punch. You see, knowing who you're fighting, Weariness lets our guard down, but weariness also weakens our support base. The knees are going weak. Notice the effects. 
when you're fatigued in your faith, when you're tired in your faith, you'll let your defenses down. Also, but your, your, your core, your strength, the platform below you upon which you stand begins to, begins to weaken. I've been living this for the last, I want to say, 18 months since I'm recovering from hip surgery. And can I tell you how annoying it is to have a different support base below you than what you're used to? How weak and vulnerable you feel. That's what fatigue is going to do. And when someone who's weak is vulnerable, all it takes is a little nudge, a little push in the wrong direction, and the next thing you know, they're falling over. Brothers and sisters, if we become lackadaisical in our hearing and in our believing and our trusting and our walking with God, not only are you susceptible to the knockout punch, but you can easily be just knocked over. Someone brushes you the wrong way. You're off balance. You're off kilter. The next thing you know, you're splayed out down. And it's not that Christ can't pick you back up. It's not that there's, it's not that you're suddenly out of it. But you're far much worse for wear than the fatigue than you were feeling. A very interesting note in this text, verses 12 to 13, which is the basis of our application. It says, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. The word your is not there. It literally just says, strengthen feeble arms and weak knees which is fascinating because most of us read this and they think, we think, get stronger. And we, who, who are we thinking of? We're thinking, I'm thinking of myself. I got to get strong. I got to get better. I got to get fit. I got to stay. I got to stay the course. And we're thinking about it in individual application. But the text doesn't have that. It says, strengthen feeble arms and strengthen weak knees, which some commentators have noted, and I think rightly so, it implies that the strong who are not fatigued have an obligation to be looking out and, and, and encouraging and supporting those who are feeling weak and who are feeling weary. You see, it's, it's again that external outlook, which picks up in verse 13, make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Some of you can hike with the best of them. I'm looking around this room and I know some of you have been on trails that, that I could never even attempt. <laughs> but a level path is really good. A straight path is really good. We'll hear more about that next week, what it means to be on a level path. But there's a double meaning here, as the author of Hebrews is prone to, prone to use this double meaning. So that the lame may not be disabled. It's, it's so that, the phrase there is so that the, the joints won't be turned out. So the joints won't be turned out or twisted out, and instead they'll be healed. And in that idea, there's two senses to that being twisted out. You can think of a dislocated joint and you think, oh, that's, that's gross. It's horrific when you see someone whose leg is going the wrong way or whose arm is going the wrong way. It's hard to get that image out of your head. But that phrase, to be twisted out or to be turned out, is the same phrase that is used to take a different path, to veer off track in the sense of those who would depart from the faith, in the sense of apostasy. So what is he meaning here? 
Make level paths for your feet so the lame may not be disabled. And here the ideas are merging together. You see, you grow stronger, you rehabilitate as you, and I know this firsthand, you rehabilitate as you create a safe, controlled environment to exercise your muscles, to exercise the joints in a proper way. But there's also a sense in which he's telling the strong, keep walking this path, keep going on the straight, narrow way, because if you don't, people are not going to stay straight. They'll start veering off. And this sense that we move through as a community. Endure because God is training you. As I said, the simple truth is, brothers and sisters, faith is sometimes tiring. It's a tiresome wrestle. That's the picture. It's Greco-Roman wrestling. You're, you're, you're on the mat. You're sweating. You're dripping. You're being contorted and you're being twisted. Sometimes you're, sometimes you're prevailing. You're on top. You have the hold. Other times, sin has its hold on you. You're in this struggle. You're in this fight. That's the picture. But like that trainer, God is saying to us, he's saying, all of this is producing righteousness in you. You are becoming like me so that you can share in my holiness. You can be a part of that kingdom. So don't give up. Don't stop. Finish the race. Finish the fight. One day, the bell is going to sound and the fight's going to be over. And you will only know joy. Let's pray. God, would you help us to endure? Give us perspective on how to understand what you're trying to do in us. Thank you that you call us your children. Thank you for Jesus who secured our redemption and our inheritance. And Lord, I pray that for anyone who's here who, who feels like they're just taking shot after shot after shot because they are trying to live as a Christian. Lord, I pray that you would give them a new perspective on those hardships. That they would be able to see past the pain not to dismiss it or not, not acknowledge it, but to see past it, Lord, so that they, they might embrace your purposes and they would see you with them. Lord, lift up our hands and strengthen our knees. In Jesus' name, amen.